0: Welcome to church. Everybody, we're so glad that you are here to study God's Word with us. We are in the second part of a great series we simply titled, It's Complicated. But I love the tagline, but it doesn't have to be. It's complicated. Come on, say with me. But it doesn't have to be. And so last week, we kicked off the series talking about sexuality in church. And if you missed it, I think you ought to go back and listen to it. And some of you just said, Pastor, did you say sex in church? I did. I did. We had a great time talking about Sex last week. And I think if you uh, didn't grow up in a church that talked about sex, you ought to go back and listen to that message because what we're doing in this series is simply uncomplicating some of the things that the enemy has tried to complicate in really, really big ways. And so, whether you're a teenager trying to figure out what dating is going to look like, whether you're newly married and trying to figure that out, whether, whether you're just trying to deal with your coworkers, how many of y'all got a crazy coworker? Come on, show me your other hand. Got a crazy coworker. If they're sitting next to you, just hold them right over left just right over left, all right? Don't, don't say it if they're with you in the room, all right? But we all got people in our lives that no matter how you feel about it, the relationships just get complicated. And that's kind of how we describe it. We kind of, we say, hey, hey, you know, how's it going with your mom? Well, it's complicated. And you know, how, how's, how's your coworker that's really been, but you've been angry with me, and when we say the same thing, go cool, say it with me, everybody in the church, it's, it's complicated. That's our most common response to relationships. And what I know is that things really get more complicated the further we get away from God's plan, and they get less complicated the closer we get to God's plan. And so what we believe here is that if we just come back to straight up, what did God say about sex, sexuality? What did God say about race relationships? What did, what did God say about your marriage? What did God say? And we steer ourselves closer, things get just a little less complicated. Now our key verse for the series it'll be on screen at home and in the room it says in Romans chapter 1 it says they knew God and that's a terrible beginning for a verse right they they knew God it doesn't say they know God they knew him but they wouldn't worship him that means they wouldn't give him the worth and the value that God deserved they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks and they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like And as a result, their minds became complicated, (laughs) dark, and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. That's not you, One Hope Church, right? That's not us. They traded, would you read it out loud? They traded the truth about God for a lie. And so in this series, all we're doing is we're just grabbing hold of some of the most common lies in our relationships and we're dispelling the lies. We're just casting them down. We're trading lies for truth. Can I get an amen in the room? That's what we're doing. We're trading lies for truth so that we can grow and really become like God. Now today we're jumping into part two of It's Complicated and the title of the message is The Third Option. And I want to talk to you about healthy racial relationships and how we can reconcile and build community the way that God intended us to build community. And I know, I know, as soon as you say the word race or racist or anything in that neighborhood, there's this immediate part where your heart starts to go a little bit faster, right? It's what's happening, right? Your heart starts beating a little faster. and Like, I don't know if I'm going to be a, what, what should I do? Well, if you're at any moment in the service, you're wondering, should I laugh or should I not laugh? Can I just tell you, you should laugh, all right? Because I'm here to help you to find some levity and to learn the truth. I'm here to help you to take some steps to to go beyond the tension, because everything. Feels so tense. Y'all feel the tension? Come on. So it's so tense, but it's it's not that complicated. It doesn't have to be if we kind of just. Go at it the way God intended. And as we are jumping into Black History Month, I'm going to tell you some history a little later in the message. As we jump into Black History Month, I thought that we should talk about the importance of building a culture that is representative of heaven and really what God intended for us here on earth. And so in order to do that, we're going to have to look back at some history that maybe says, oh, that wasn't good. We shouldn't have done that. There are some things in our American history that are wrong. Isn't that right? There are some things that went wrong. But I also, what I also want to do in Black History Month is to remember that there are some successes as well. And when I look at this room and I look at our previous services, I see the diversity in church and I see the culture that isn't stuck on being one way or the other. I'm pretty excited about what God can do in our world. Amen, everybody? Some of y'all are thinking about clapping. You want to clap for that? Come on, let's do it. I know it's like you like, laugh, yeah, just go with it, all right? And if you laugh or clap at the wrong time, we'll just laugh with you or at you, okay? Like, no big deal. That's what we'll do to help you. To help you, I want to start with the Bible because whether you know this or not, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a medical doctor, I can help you find all of those. What I am is a pastor. I am a leader that was born and built out of the word of God, taught to bring you the word of God. And what I believe and understand is that the word of God is the foundation and all these other principal environments learn from the truth of the word of God. And so we're starting Acts chapter 17, verse 26 says, God... Who made the world. In case you were wondering, he's not talking about the other Gods. He's not talking about somebody else. Just in case you didn't know, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation. Would you say those four words? One blood every nation. One more time. One blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. And he's determined the pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might actually grope for him and find him though he is not far from any one of us. I love how clear Acts chapter 17 puts it. We're one blood, every nation. One blood, every nation. And so what that means is that there wasn't a white Adam and Eve and a black Adam and Eve. There wasn't an Asian Adam and Eve and there wasn't a Latino Adam and Eve. There was just one Adam and Eve. Are y'all with me today? There was just one. And we can debate on at what level of darkness Adam and Eve might be or not be, what level of blackness or brownness, depending on your color, doesn't really matter. There was just one blood. From 1990 to 2003, the Human Genome Project did a study, and what they discovered and concluded that from the 3 billion base genetic pairs in our lives, that you and I are 99.9% the same. Say it one more time. We are the same. Can you say it with me? Come on. We are the same. Now, I know we look differently, and that's where God just gets to be God and have some fun. Come on. He's a master painter. He loves to bring diversity to the world. He just, God ain't cookie cutter. Come on. God is not just bland. God is, God is like Ben and Jerry's half-baked ice cream. Can I get an amen, somebody? <laughs> Now, I know some of y'all like, you like vanilla ice cream, and, and that's, that, I got it. Some of you like, well, i, I go Neapolitan, you know, like, I, I'm Ben and Jerry's, all right? It's black and white swirl with some caramel stuffed in there, and then you find some cookie dough and some half-baked brownies in the middle. <laughs> I'm thinking about Ben and Jerry's after this. One blood, we're the same. We look different, but we're the same. The word nation in the original language is the word ethnos. It's where we get the word uh, ethnicity from. And it literally means a a multitude of individuals of the same nature or genus, a a company, a troop, a swarm, a tribe of people, uh, a, a tribe or people group, a race. So we all come from the same place. We are the same people. We are put together and looking different so that we can interact with the world. Now, I what that simply means when you read that we're one blood every nation, what that means is that black people inherently don't jump higher, run faster, and shoot the basketball better. What it means, it, it doesn't mean that the movie, is like the movie White Men Can't Jump, it's just a lie, okay? You have not seen me jump, everybody, all right? It doesn't, it doesn't mean that all white people like NASCAR and the opera, all right? It doesn't mean that all the Latinos are good, are better at baseball and, 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 and Asians are better at mathematics and science. No, 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 no. That's a product of our culture. That's a product of the, the, in the influence of the culture in the neighborhood you grew up in and what opportunities were afforded you, maybe what your culture focused on. So though we are the same, there are some distinctions, I get it. Let me read it to you this way, though there are distinctions in our our height, our weight, our skin complexion, our eye color, our hair color, our hair texture, human beings in every racial group are essentially the same. We're essentially the same. Genesis 11 and 1 says it this way, it says at one time, at one time all the people of the world spoke the same language, they used the same words, and then the Lord scattered them all over the earth. If you're unfamiliar, in Genesis chapter 11, the people had gone away from God, and they decided that they were going to build a tower to heaven, and God said that when the people are unified, they can do anything, and so God is the one who brought distinction to our languages so that people who were ungodly couldn't get together and do two big ungodly things. But it also bears the reminder that when the people of God get together, same language, same voice, same heart, unify, what can't we do for God? We can do some big things. But it reminds us that all of us started together. We started out the same. But somewhere along the way, as I mentioned, some of the stereotypical things we might say are they're better at sports. They're better at math. Those stereotypical things really were born out of racism. Now, you may say, well, well Pastor, like, I'm not a racist. And, and I, I don't believe most of you woke up today and said, that's what I'm going for. Look out. I'm going to be a racist today. Are y'all with me? I'm sorry. <laughs> I got somebody there, all right? Like, I don't think most people in the world, that that's how they started out and said, that's my goal. But the stereotypical things, the distinctions in who we are, began to be a belief system that we embrace that's just not true. So racism, dictionary.com, here we go. Racism, the belief that race accounts for differences in human character or ability and that a particular race is superior to others, that's where racism begins. So when we see our differences, we start equating that to some sort of inherent difference that you have that I don't have. But the Bible says, and science says, we're the same. And then those stereotypes For some people graduate, their base level understanding of racism graduates into discrimination or prejudice that's based upon that race. And that leads us to what we see in lots of cultures. But I need you to know that that racism isn't new and racism isn't just about black and white or brown and white. Racism is in every single culture. The Italians don't like the Sicilians too much. The Chinese right now have over a million people in concentration camps. They're the same color, but they have different religious beliefs, and they put them in a camp to try and train it out of them. It's happening now in the world. It's not just a black and white thing. It's a demonic thing. It's a sinful thing. It's the attack of the enemy to try and destroy our lives. And what we have to do as people of God is recognize that though the stereotypes can be funny at times, if you aren't careful, we begin to see people through that lens and we devalue and degrade them because of that. And we don't give them the opportunity, the people around us to be the people of God and the people God has called them actually to be. Now, there are predominantly two types of racism. The first is institutional racism. I want to define it for you. It's a great day to download the notes because you're not going to be able to write that fast, all right? Institutionalized racism involves policies, practices, and procedures of institutions that have a disproportionately a negative effect on racial minorities. It's a disproportional negative effect on their access to the quality of goods and services and opportunities that we would all like to have in our lives. You may say, well, well, I need an example of that. Well, the easiest example, if you just type in institutional racism in the Google, by the way, you'll find that it is what they've called the redlining. Now, redlining was, We tried to do away with it in 1968 with the Fair Housing Act, like we institutionally tried to change it, but redlining was largely banks and other structures had drawn a red line around certain neighborhoods and environments and said they can't have what the other neighborhood's going to have. They can't have access to loans, so we don't want those people to be able to buy homes because we don't want those people to stay. And so redlining was institutional racism. That's probably one you're really familiar with. But I want to dive a little deeper and just hold your breath with me. Okay, just hold on. I want to talk about just institutional racism when it comes to the promotion of abortion as the best outcome for a young, poor woman who is pregnant out of wedlock. That it's the best idea for you. You may say, well, why would you bring that up? Well, I bring it up because there are three times more abortions in poor black communities than there are in any white community. And today in America with between 50 and 60 million, depending on how it's reported, babies having been aborted since Roe v. Wade, that means that 80% of those children who were aborted were black children. And some of you would say, well, well you, know, you know, do we want to debate whether we should or should not have that right? That's a different discussion, which I have a very clear opinion on. But let me just tell you today, if you look at that, there's an institutional approach. That's nearly 40 million black children. That's a lot. Where would our nation be right now if we had 40 million more? It would be different. Take a breath. Breathe in. Breathe out. The second type of racism is what we call internalized racism. Internalized racism is the basis of individual and institutional racism. It is the systemic value system that is embedded in a society that supports and allows discrimination. So it's the internal belief and value system that though the Fair Housing Act was passed in 1968, check the box, we dealt with the institutional racism, we're gonna keep the internalized, individual side of it going, and we'll say it's taken care of, but we haven't changed anything. Internal racism is where you and I can make the biggest difference because if it changes in our hearts, we will tear down the systems, amen, everybody? Come on, if it just changes in us, we'll begin to say, I'm not doing that, you're crazy. I'm gonna love my neighbor. I'm gonna help them to get up. I'm gonna push them forward. Everything I can, whoever the them and the they are, I'm going to help them. Leviticus chapter 19 says, I'm going Old Testament, come on, Old Testament, Leviticus, early in the law, okay? When a stranger, somebody looks different than you, somebody was born on the other side of the tracks, somebody has more or less than you. When a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not do him or her wrong, The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you. And you shall love them, come on, say, as yourself. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. And in case you forgot, I need to tell you one more time, I am the Lord your God. Need to put it in perspective sometimes. God needs to bring it up and say, listen, I'm the one who made you. You're one blood, every nation. One blood, we're the same. But in every, in every race conversation, the devil only gives you two options. It's us against them. It's them and they. They did it. It's not my fault. I mean, I didn't put them there. Instead of it being we and us. Hey, we're in this together. We can change this. You know what? I'm gonna love you the way I wanna be loved. I'm gonna, the best I can for you, regardless of where we are. But instead, we've fallen into, you're a Republican, you're a Democrat. Most Republicans are white. Not true. Most Democrats are black. Not true. Independents are just confused. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Complete joke. It's just easier to pick a side. I'm trying to help y'all laugh a little bit. Please, please, please know that my levity is trying to help you to kind of take off, but I, I stand very firmly in this belief. It's easier to pick a side because then I can say, well, we're over there and they're over there and they're our enemies. The harder job is to stand in the tension like a tent pole and tying lines into black communities and tying lines in the white communities and tying lines in the Latino communities and say, no, 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 we're going to hold this thing up because together. Because we're the same. I'd love for you to write this line somewhere down. Write it on your hand if you have to. But if we pick a side, we divide. When you choose to run to one side or the other, then you're leaving the other side that could make you better. That could grow us. We could start looking like heaven before heaven. Think about it. Dr. Tony Evans says that division is merely a strategy of Satan to keep us from the divine. Just a strategy, because he knows if we're together, we can build anything. What would it be like here in this city if we just took on the reality that God has called us to be a generational church and an interracial church? We're not young or old, we're just good. We're not black or white, we're just good. Y'all with me today? What would it be like if God called us and we accepted the responsibility to be at the tip of the spear in this in our community? That when people say, where is it working? They say, One Hope Church. Where is it working? It's in the church. Dr. and Pastor Miles McPherson, who wrote the book, The Third Option, which we encourage every one of you to read and to study. We have many small groups at times that are based upon his book, He says it this way, that we have an in-group versus an out-group. That every one of us has a group that we were born into. You just have an in-group and you have an out-group. The best way I can describe this is in my family. I'm one of six children and in my family, if you were going to fight for something, there were times with those six children, three boys and three girls, that we would be at each other's throats near wanting to kill one another. Has that ever happened in your in-group? That was my in-group. But if you were not in the family, in the middle of us fighting, if you were not in the family, if you are in the out-group and you attack somebody in the in-group, we would all of a sudden turn. It was okay for me to kill my brother, right? But not for you. And then we would go fighting. Can I tell you, this is, this is one time in my life I'm really thankful for my older brother because he was scrappy and mean. A lot of times I was the brunt, I got the brunt of that scrappiness and meanness, but occasionally when I was getting in trouble in the neighborhood about to get in a fight, somebody would step in and say, oh, no, no, you don't, he's a Kenazaro, you don't want to fight him. I don't know if Josh can fight, but I know his brother will kill you. <laughs> we all have an in-group, and we all have an out-group. That's just reality, because wherever you were born, it's your in group. But we don't have to have in-group bias and out-group discrimination. I mean, we're, we're, all, we're all born in different neighborhoods. I, I get it. You didn't choose the neighborhood you were born in, but you don't have to have a bias and a discrimination. That's something that's taught in our culture. Watch out for them. They're not like us. That's a lie. I just read you the verses. Bible says we're the same. The Bible and science say we're the same. And so whenever you hear this, they, or them, rather than we and us, you know that that person speaking has stepped out of the truth, and they've allowed their their in-group bias to overwhelm them to now to begin to discriminate. But the third option, as Pastor McPherson says, is recognizing that we can recognize the image of God in other people. And instead of looking at the difference in our color, the difference in our hair, the difference in where we grew up, we can just say, image of God. Well, I can see that you're made in the image of God. I, I see the beauty of God and how he designs you. I see that he puts you, as the Bible says, together like you are wonderfully and fearfully made. One verse in scripture says that you're the workmanship of God, that you're handcrafted, custom-designed. I like this come on if you're feeling insecure today you're one of a kind you're feeling devalued you're one of a kind isn't it crazy how God said you're all one blood but there'll never be another one just like you so of the near seven billion people in the world there's never been another you Casey kind of crazy Jason, never been another you. You're the only you ever genetically to be created. There's 7 billion, you're the one of a kind, and yet the Bible says we're 99.9% the same. Does that mess with your head? It messes with mine, okay? I am the Lord, your God, and I will blow up your mind. That's what he does. There are certain times where we can only step back and say only God. Genesis 126 says that God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. You and I, every color, every creed, every gender, every nation, every ethnicity, made in the image of God. So what do we we have to do? Well, we probably should take a walk, maybe go a mile in another person's shoes so that we can see our similarities and our uniqueness. I've been pretty honest with you guys uh, about the challenges of growing up in the big family and the losing of my brother and and some of the hardship that came with him passing away. I've told you the story and and not to labor it, but to to bring you to a point where he and I found closeness again is that for some reason, even though he was my biological brother, he felt like he and I were different because of some of the painful things he went through. He saw himself as completely different than I was. And it created this distance in the very same in group Created this distance between us. I didn't know what happened to him until later in life. But as I look back, I can see the root cause of us running into each other was what happened to him, not what I did. It was an experience, and it was negative, and the enemy used it to capitalize, and it created this fighting. But the last time we were physically together, my son Caleb, who is 12, was just about three or four. And can I tell you, at three or four, he was fit to be tied, everybody. he was. You think he's got energy now. That boy was running and jumping and running and jumping and running and jumping off of everything. And the first time we got to bring our families together like this, my older brother saw my son running and running and running and running. And he said to me, We're the same. He said, I see Caleb is just like my boys. Where did he get that? I said, Well, Charles, it came from me. And for the first time in our adult life, he realized that we were the same. And that was the last time we were together. It was one of the most healing moments. And I got a picture of it, it's beautiful. I see the smile, and it came from walking together down the block and watching my three-year-old act like a maniac. (laughs) When you walk with someone, you see things differently. I want to challenge you. If you've never considered why we have Black History Month, it's so that you'll take a walk through history so that you'll walk alongside someone who maybe had some different experiences than you, some distinctions, some things that look different, that maybe you would walk through it with them and see how it went. Maybe you would walk through history and see Harriet Tubman's life, who was an abolitionist who was born into slavery in the mid-1800s, who ended up creating what was known as the Underground Railroad to set nearly 70 slaves free herself. You would find what it was like to have the courage of Harriet Tubman, and said, you know what? If she can have courage, I can have courage. Maybe, maybe you'll read all of the speeches in the story of Martin Luther King as you go through this month. Instead of acting as though it's, it's something that you're not gonna focus on, maybe you read and you realize that when he was getting on the plane to go to Memphis where he would eventually lose his life and give one of his final speeches, you would find that he sat for two hours on the tarmac with them publicly saying that, hey, everyone, we're sorry that we're sitting here for two hours, but Dr. King is on the plane and we're searching for bombs right now. Maybe you would see what it was like to be someone who so opposed our divisive and crazy racist world and to see the fear that it would be like and the courage that he would have to have to stand up and say things like this. If you would take a walk, you may see we're the same. Or maybe you could say, you know, those are great. History, I love it. I think it's great. Maybe you'll just find the single black mom who grew up on the other side of the tracks who chose the other option rather than abortion but chose to raise that child and what it was like. Can I just tell you from every person that I find that's an adult, and I asked a man this week, was who was his hero in black history? And he said, my single black mother. Come on, if you're going to do it, go all out. I'm going to take a few more minutes. I'm not even going to ask for it. All right, just stay with me. Maybe you'll take a walk with a young black man who's in our church who's No longer young, but you would take a walk through his history of growing up in this city. And every time he and his friend would walk to get snowballs, they'd be stopped by white police officers and they'd make them put their hands on the hood and they would be stuck there for a long time. Who that instead of despising it became a police officer himself? Come on, somebody, right? He opposed the mindset. Supposed to wrap this up, but I want to give you five things to do. Can y'all do this? Can y'all go with me? Real quickly. If we're going to choose the third option, if we're going to choose the third option, number one, you have to rename every person as your brother and sister. You need to rename them. It's not them and they. It's we and us. Come on. If I go old 70s, come on. We are family. (laughs) Bringing out my singing chops. Look out. 1 John 4 and 20 says this whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You need to rename, listen, we're brothers and sisters. Now I know I grew up in a church that kind of took this to the extreme and it got weird. They're like, Hey, your brother, so-and-so and and your sister, so-and-so. And then it started feeling like a cult. So we're not going there. Okay. We're not doing that. I'm not doing that. My name is Josh. Number two, you should give in-group love to your out group I want you to give in-group love to your out-group. What does that look like? Well, Matthew 22 and 37, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. I want you to give in-group love to your out-group. Just kind of like anybody who walks in, they're just not like you. That's the person you go hug first. That's the person that you sit and talk to walk them out in their shoes. Matthew 7 and 12 says it this way, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do unto you, for this sums up the law and prophets. It's a golden rule. It's not that hard, it's not that complicated. What do you want for you? Do you wanna be redlined or do you wanna be invited in? Do you want somebody to say, you don't have to raise that child on your own, I'll be there to help you. There's another option. Come on, there's a third option. There's adoption, there's foster care, there's, uh, there's all sorts of ways we could do the opposite. Number three, I want you to acknowledge your brothers and sisters color. To not acknowledge the distinction is to devalue them and who they are. Right. And so to, to just say, well, I don't see color, that's a lie. You just said that so you saw color. I know I'm making some of y'all uncomfortable, but please, 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 hear my heart, hear my heart. Just acknowledge it. I see that we're different, and I love that. And I think our differences make us better. I tell some of y'all if you love the vibrancy of One Hope Church, it didn't come from a bland white church, it came from diversity. It came from me growing up in spiritually diverse environments. Why'd we get rid of the lectern and the holding on and the hard preaching so that we could be inviting and relational and we could span the differences in our culture? It's famously a parable taught by Jesus. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan where a person who was hurt and discarded and thrown to the side, he was in somebody's out group and the people that should have taken care of him kept walking by and The religious, the priest, everyone who should have taken care of him said, oh no, that's not mine. And the person who was technically really his outgroup, the Samaritan, whom the Jews referred to as dogs and wanted them to be discarded, the Samaritan stopped and treated him like a neighbor. And Jesus challenging the Pharisees and the religious people of their day said, you know, that you should love your neighbor. And here's the Pharisee's response. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, Well, who's my neighbor? I mean, like, really, they're not my neighbor. They live over there. And they missed the heart of the matter and they were unwilling to acknowledge the reality. And because they were unwilling to do it, they created further distance. The psalmist says it this way. He says, my friends and companions, they avoid me because of my wounds and my neighbors stay far away from me. Sometimes we look at people's pain and because we don't know how to fix it ourselves, we withdraw. That's not the answer. The answer is number four. Give your heart to those not like you. Listen, love is spelled T-I-M-E spend time with somebody if you don't know the difference have lunch with somebody different than you for just six weeks straight and you'll probably never stop you'll probably never stop romans 13 and 10 says love does no harm to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfillment of the law give your heart to them number five I want you to recognize that the church affords you the best opportunity to live this out. That God has called us, the church, to sit next to people who are different and say, we are family. We are the same. As I look out in this room, I think, wow, this is just the beginning. As I look out at what our church is doing and the diversity in our culture and where God has placed us, we're just getting started. Galatians three says it this way: "says You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all of you have been united with Christ in baptism. Have put on Christ, for you are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all of you have been united." with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. I think I got confused in the verse. Y'all with me? There is therefore, this is the most important part, there is no longer Jew or Gentile. So races, eh, you're all the same. One blood, every nation. That doesn't mean that we don't have people who came from different places. Paul is saying, because we're all in Christ, We are no longer seeing that as a distinction. We're not going to allow that to break us down. He says, We're not going to let status do it either. We're not going to be slave or free. We're all free. And I even love how he throws this in. Come on, ladies. Male or female, we're getting rid of that too. Now, he's not saying that there aren't some people who are from different places. He aren't saying some people have more money and some people have less money. He's not saying that there isn't a difference between a man and a woman. There is. He's saying the way we value them is as if we are one. Come on, read it with me. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Last verse, 2 Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, if anyone in this Christ sees a new creation, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, one church, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. The first reconciliation our world needs because racism is born out of sin. The first reconciliation is to God so that the sin can be dealt with and then we need to start reconciling all the other stuff, the differences in our races, the differences in how we treat one another. We are called to the message of reconciliation. And today, I don't know if I uncomplicated it enough for you. I hope I have. I'm calling us to do it together. As I close... I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the first Sunday. We had 700 district donuts delivered to the cafeteria. And we invited everybody after the first service to go down and have a donut. And I walked family to family to family. And I said, God has called us to be a generational church. And God has called us to be an interracial church. And I went specifically to black families. And said, will you do this with me? I know I'm a white guy, that you don't know that well. But would you risk with me? I want to honor the Mannings who risked with me. I want to honor the pages who were with us on the first day. I want to honor Trinita Gilmore, who's right here on the second row, who said, I'll do this with you. I'll do this with you. I want to honor our staff who said, how are we going to do that? generational and inter How are we going to do that? Because our staff at the time was all white. How are we going to do it? We're going to be intentional. And we're going to live out the third option. Thank you for doing this. Hopefully you've have some good things to chew on. Would you bow with me in prayer as we close? With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in the room or at home and Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, he's not God to you. The Bible says you're one prayer away from reconciling with him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I won't embarrass you. I won't ask you to stand. I won't ask you to come to the front, but I'll ask you to whisper this prayer. Say these words if you want to give your heart to Jesus. Lord Jesus, I'm giving you my life. And today I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. God, would you forgive me for my sin? Would you forgive me for trying to live this life on my own? And God, would you give me the power to follow you all the days of my life? In Jesus' name.